Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to this episode of my interview series. I'm very excited to have Lisa back on this um, program to talk to you today about her thesis on Chinese brands going global. It's a super interesting topic and something that I think many of us are watching closely. So welcome back, Lisa, and thank you for coming. Thank you for having me again, Ellie. Very excited to be here. So I guess where I want to start is why do you feel that Chinese brands so far have not expanded very successfully into other markets outside of China? Right. So this was exactly the same question um, I was asking myself um, a couple of months ago because I somehow felt um, it is time or there should be some brands going abroad or there are rumors or um, looking at florists they are having some smaller steps into that direction but um, just now so I was like okay why has this not happened yet um, especially it, it occurred to me when um, I looked at um, our neighbors so for example Korea and um, K-beauty was so big um, you know in the past years and they have a more pacific or when I look at Japan um, J-beauty was also a huge trend uh, they have Shiseido the big groups and they have all successfully made it global um, but why not China? And um, yeah, so I was like, okay, what's 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 wrong? And I started to do research, and I figured, okay, um, so what is the path of a of a brand, or what does it, what does it take to bring something onto the market? Started to research on the supply chain part, the channel, the brand part, and I figured, okay, supply chain it's 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 not a problem because in China it is a manufacturing country. Um, um, I researched the big manufacturers, and they are. Um, supplying actually the big global brands like Amarni, Yves Saint Laurent from, from, from the L'Oreal Group. Um, channel, maybe because, because um, Chinese brands, they obviously do not speak the foreign language. Maybe it's a little bit more fragmented. However, e-commerce exists now and you can work through distributors. So that's probably also not a core problem. Then um, I looked at branding and marketing in particular, and I figured, hey, maybe there is a problem in the branding aspect of Chinese brands. Um, yeah, this is where the whole thing came together. I started my research and a piece um, of work. Mm, interesting. Yes, I, I agree. I think that the fundamental way of bringing a product to market in terms of the marketing aspect is so different in China. Um, the way that it's marketed, the way that they talk to the consumers, of course, all the channels are different as well. 
um, it, it, it is very fundamentally different. Um, so what do you think are those differences? Like what are the main fundamental differences between Chinese brands and Western brands? Yeah, um, so it's super funny because I have been, you know, for years bringing Western brands to China and I've always praised how important it is to keep the core identity of a brand, to keep the core personality. It's like a character um, in the market and you speak to different consumers um, that resonate with your values, uh, resonate with your brand uh, personalities. And um, we took that or we, we figured that out together with the brand, took that and um, made it approachable and likable to the Chinese consumers. However, um, when I tried to take a few examples of um, Chinese brands and I wanted to do the reverse thing, I kind of realized, okay, um, it's super difficult because I couldn't grasp the core identity of it. And I feel like, um, you know, that's the main problem. Um, it really, really occurred to me when I was uh, once doing a mood board. So we were bringing Essence um, to China, which is the biggest um, cosmetic brands in terms of market share in Germany. And we looked through magazines, looked at, um, you know, potential mood board assets. And then one of my team members just was holding the magazine and said, Lisa, you're in the beauty industry for so long. Um, what is this model advertising for? So which brand is she advertising for? So um, all I could see was a Chinese model in a white um, kind of blazer, um, very straight hair down and her look. So I was like, okay, this is for sure either Bobby Brown or Armani. And then I said, okay, it's, it's Armani. And then she flipped the page and it really was Armani. So it was an Armani look on a Chinese model um, in a magazine. And I could, maybe it's because I'm in the industry for too long <laughs> or um, you could argue, um, but, but at least I could recognize the brand without mm -hmm. any product, without any branding. And that was where it really made switch in my head. And I was like, okay, take any other, you know, take other, any brand in China, could we reach that? Or could we make the trans, the translation or localization um, so attractive to the consumer, the local consumer, but still keep the brand identity? And I feel like that's the missing part of today's Chinese um, beauty or consumer brands. Mm, yeah, because the, the Chinese brands are much more focused on, well, they build communities, right? Like some of the, some of the success that we've seen with um, Florisys, but also obviously some of the early success with Perfect Diary around those WeChat private groups, building that community, also involving the community in some of the product development, getting, getting feedback on the products, like that sort of momentum helped them. But I agree in terms of that true branding, identity and differentiation and story, it is, it is more difficult to pinpoint. Yeah, yeah, I like what you said, because that I feel like many people, um, or especially Chinese um, brand owners, are confusing branding with marketing. They jump directly into the marketing aspect. And I saw mm -hmm. a very funny quote online which says um, marketing is like asking someone on a date and branding is the reason they say yes 
So everyone in China is just doing marketing. You know, come date me, come come to, you know, come, uh, let's let's go for a walk, let's go in a nice restaurant. And they blast those messages out there through live stream, through communities, through Xiaohongshu, through all the social channels. And then as a consumer, I would ask, okay, okay, yeah, I can buy you once or twice, but when it comes to repeat purchase, when I ask myself, okay, why should I buy you again? Why should I not switch to the other brand, which has been sending me messages all the time, or I want to try something else? Um, the why is missing. So I feel like that quote also really opened up my eyes uh, in terms of the personality, because if a, if a guy, guy asks me on a date, I would probably be like, okay, let's try. But then if he asks me another time, like it's the second time or third time, I really evaluate, okay, how is this person? Do I like his personality? Is the conversation good? Do I like his values? And that part is missing most of the times. And I feel like it's the branding versus marketing aspect. Yeah, that's yeah. And I think that's I think that's so important for Western brands who are going into China to remember as well, because I find that a lot of brands get caught up in this activation of the market approach, and they forget about even though in the West they have a very strong brand and they're very branding led in China, because of the whole system, they get swept up into live streaming too much or, um, you know, all these things that will mean that people are buying them, not necessarily for who they are, but because of for someone else is telling them to buy it. And exactly to your point about repeat purchase, that's where the brand then may do great sales in the first year from all this activation. And then people don't repeat purchase because they're, they're not really understanding the essence behind the brand and even behind the product, like not understanding what is good about the product. I think that's, um, yeah. And with obviously with Chinese brands, there has been this aspect around quality, um, not mm -hmm. with all brands, but you know, some brands, that's definitely something that's, that's talked about in terms of and even on Chinese social media channels now, you know, Perfect Diaries had a backlash because they're not investing enough in R&D and consumers are like, you're taking us for a ride. Like, why, why are you not doing better quality products? So I think that's also something that will be difficult when brands are going over, you know, Chinese brands are going overseas because there is already this um, prejudice as well from Westerners about quality in China, which is absolutely not always the case. You know, of course there's some fantastic quality products out there, but I think there has, it's this, it's, it's that balance, right? I think that's something that's really key as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's um, the made in China tech that everyone has, which is historical. And we actually um, did a couple of research studies where I sent, um, you know, surveys in different European country, uh, mainly also Germany. And people would buy things that are, um, you know, for usage, but not as important. For example, um, yeah, something like um, maybe hanging up your clothes or something for, for cleaning, um, you know, maybe some kitchen utensils. But when it comes to skincare and cosmetics, um, especially when you start to put something on your skin or vitamins, mm. for example, where it's really important that it's qualitative, um, mm. people to rank China um, as one of the lowest countries of their choices and I think mm. it's partially historical it's also partially how the brand um, is designed because design says so much about your brand 
um, and um, about the language as well. So, you know, if I see something on Amazon that has Chinese labeling on it and I'm a foreigner and the design is not super pretty, I would probably not buy it. Um, it's just the connection is not there and I do not understand what's inside. Um, so, yeah, so it's really the whole um, funnel of, of, the, of the identity, of the branding, of the appearance. Mm. Mm, totally it's like, totally it's all those things combined yeah it's like it's like dressing yourself right when i see a guy um who has leather jacket versus a guy who ha who is um, wearing a i don't know um like a blazer or something you know looking like a banker and i know i'm more the banker type or probably you know go with him on a date rather than with the holly guy i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah. appearance yes appearance in uh, for brands is certainly something that that is important so what do you think are the three main things then that chinese brands need to address and change before they can have real success in western markets mm -hmm. so i would say the first one is definitely product um i think this is a global thing. If you do not have a good product in any category, in any market, um, you, you, you will probably not succeed. Um, the second thing I would say, and this is arguable, um, um, is the appearance of the brand. So due to the, due to the fact that everyone perceives made in China as something cheaper, um, or due to the fact that people have prejudices or their opinions um, about Chinese brands, I'm not sure if really labeling or this, you know, Chinese pride thing is a same core value for the Western world as for the Chinese one. So mm. of course, this is arguable. This is part of the brand. And um, just a very simple um, example in the beauty industry. So Flores versus Perfect Dairy. I'm not sure who will really succeed because this is something so new um, in, in, you know, in the whole industry. But just personally, I feel like brands like Perfect Diary or, or Judy Doll, if they really figure out their core and then color cosmetics, the look is so important. You have to stand for a certain look. Um, at current stage, I feel like they're just more likely to succeed because you, they do not label, oh, hey, I'm made in China or I'm created in China. It's more like, okay, um, I have the innovation in terms of product color because the Chinese manufacturers are really good at that. Um, I have an interesting, you know, design, um, at least with Judy Doll, I feel like it's the case, or a little Undine, um, and then go global with that brand um, versus Flores' approach, which is really um, enforcing the Chinese culture, and it's something very unique, but I'm ju just not sure about the current um, acceptance of the Western market here yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I, uh, yeah, what I really like is, um, for example, brands like Neiwai. So they do a combined approach where they where they go to Asian Americans first, and they are kind of Chinese but in a more elegant way or in a more more modern way. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's an interesting one because yes, florists they are already expanding globally. Like they've got they're building teams outside of China. Um, but it is such a Chinese aesthetic, right? And it's beautiful. Like the packaging is is beautiful. But it's it, and I think there's they have had some positive feedback from bloggers and various other people about the packaging. But it's it's about that longevity aspect in, in terms of consumers, yeah. and and that's all about whether the product stands up um, mm -hmm. as well, of course, of course. So it's um, 
yes, it's it's difficult. So we've sort of, I suppose we've talked about in terms of the Chinese brands that have the most likely success in China. I mean, I think Perfect Diary, they've obviously pushed out into Southeast Asia a little bit, but mm-hmm. not too strongly yet, yet into the West. Um, but they have a more neutral aesthetic. So I guess they were, they, uh, they have a potential. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, um, because recently I also spoke to um, one of their directors um, who is responsible for overall strategy, um, but they're also struggling with the branding part. Um, so he, she, she actually said that they're focusing all their power on the branding aspect. They're trying to figure out what does C beauty mean actually? So if you think of okay, beauty, you have this look. Uh, it's like three mm-hmm. C. It's this model. It's the hair. It's the color range. If you think of J beauty, you you have the same. So you have this very clear visual about you know this very beautiful skin, a more um, you know um, a more a more pale maybe makeup versus the Korean one. But if you think C beauty, the imagery is not yet defined. And I think this is where most of the brands are struggling with, um, together with, you know, what is Perfect Diary actually standing for? Um, they're, they're, it's kind of the same problem like Shein. Um, Chinese founders tend to do product and channel first and then go back and think about, oh my God, what, what's my brand story? And then that sometimes can feel not as genuine as mm. some of the founders um like for example bobby brown who said okay i want to create something um you know i want to create a lipstick that looks like lip color um or for example barbara sturm who said okay i'm a doctor and i really come from consumer needs and this is why i created it so it's really a stable solid ground of founder story this um versus some chinese founders not all of them but some chinese founders um, who say, oh, okay, I have supply chain resources, I have channel resources, let's let's make a brand, right? So that's something mm-hmm. different. And I feel like that's uh, when I say character, core identity, what's your personality? Why are you doing this brand? Yeah, and if that's not answered correct, uh, not correct, but very in a stable manner, um, that, that can lead to future instabilities, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also quite a new thing or, I mean, not an established thing in China to highlight the founder story, right? Like that, that founder story, the what's behind the brand. I mean, that, that only became a big thing in the West in the last five, you know, maybe ten, five to 10 years where brands were really like celebrating their, their roots in terms of founders and, and things like that. It's not, they would, there were the outliers like Bobby Brown and Joe Malone that have done, you know, really brought that trend on. And I think clean beauty, natural beauty, there's been a lot of people that are doing brand and have created brands for real reasons like sickness or, um, you know, issues with their skin and they have that conviction. And I feel like that there is a little bit of an emptiness with a lot of these Chinese brands. There's money, as you said, money, knowledge, supply chain, like all the practical things are there, which is also important. It's also important, but it it misses that romance. And I think now the Western consumer is used to that romance. And the yeah. product quality is just a given, but you want that romance and, and the fact that it links to those values that you hold yeah. as a consumer. I absolutely 100% agree. I love um, that you say romance um, because I feel like that's exactly 
you know, the thing you need to enchant your, your customers. I mean, color cosmetics and skincare, um, yeah, it's, it's somewhat functional, but if you, if you think about fragrance um, or luxury or upselling, um, the French are, I think, the best at it. It's really about the, the story behind, uh, the romance, as you said, um, to, to create this aspiration, to create this, yeah, I, I like to call it pull strategy, but it's so intangible and unpractical in a way for Chinese people. And I mean, Chinese people, they are known for coming from mathematics. They're very good at science. They're good in supply chain. So everything, what is very practical and hands-on, but it's about mm -hmm. art and philosophy aspect, um, the storytelling, um, the, the, the enchanting people aspect of it that is yet to be explored or, um, you know, further elaborated, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a fast, it's going to be so fascinating to watch this evolve in the next mm -hmm. few years because we know that these brands are focused on this, like global expansion mm -hmm. is part of their roadmap. That's part of their commitment to their investors and, you know, to, to well, they want to expand and they will, but it's just, I, I agree, they need to figure out, um, figure out that piece that they're, they're missing in terms of the brand story and branding. Mm -hmm. So very interesting, very interesting. Thank you so much, Lisa, really great chat. And um, I'm sure people will take away a lot and I'll put your details below for anyone that wants to have a further chat about this topic. Awesome. Thank you so much, um, Ali, for, for having me. I'm actually publishing the thesis as an ebook. So Fantastic. yeah, um, if anyone wants to read it, um, happy to share it. I would definitely recommend it. I've read it. There's lots of very interesting analysis in there. Um, and so, yeah, I'll put when, when that's ready, we'll put all the details in as well. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.